Hey, this is Heather from the media team at Word Alive. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. This week, we have Luke Varvel speaking on how when we ask for help, heaven enters life's problems. I hope you enjoy this message. I'm wrapping up a series, and uh, I know that Matt and Dan and uh, Jacqueline Patio have brought you some amazing words, and I've been watching them, and Matt talking about, uh, boy, I love the illustration of uh, Elisha burning up the ox, burning up his equipment and burning up the tools of the trade and burning up the way back, burning up his fallback, his plan B. And I know y'all burned some plan Bs around here. And uh, Jacqueline Patio, I think, could read the phone book. It'd be anointed. <laughs> and um, I, well, I'm sure she could. It, it would. At first, you'd be like, it wouldn't be as anointed at the beginning because it'd be like ABC stores, but still, you'd feel something. And then <laughs> by the time she got around to uh, barbecue joints, all of a sudden, you'd feel. And then by, when you got to the C's and she started talking about the churches, I think she could just say the names of churches and it'd be anointed. And, uh, but use what you got, she said. Use what you got. God's given her a gift to communicate, and she's using it. You know, she could be doing a lot of stuff a lot of other places. And Dan talking about the sound, the abundance of rain. My God, see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And that uh, where rain wasn't forecast, God said, doesn't matter what's forecast. Doesn't matter what the prognosticators say. It only matters what I say. And I said rain. I didn't just say rain, I said an abundance of rain. And I'm doing this week talking about help. You need help. We can't do this thing by ourselves. That's been a great illustration this morning of what's going on with the pastor in Kazakhstan. Is that right? And he can't do what God's called him to do by himself. Barnabas and these guys in India can't do what God's called him to do by themselves. And we can't do what heaven's called us to do by ourselves. we got to have help. We can't do it alone. I thought of a great acronym for help, H-E-L-P, and that's heaven enters life's problems. When we ask for help, we pray, oh, God, do this. God, do that. God, change me. God, move. Come on, God, do it. God, do it. God, do it. God, never ask for help. God's just saying, wouldn't you kick a door open, please, for me and just ask somebody for help? Give me somehow to get to you. If you just ask for help, I'll bring all of heaven. I'll invade you, but you're going to have to ask. I'm not a bully, right? The Lord's not a bully. Ask for help. Let heaven enter life's problems. Worse off we get, less we want to ask, right? All our crew in Jacksonville, North Carolina uh, says, hey, and we made a little uh, uh, video on my phone, some of our leaders on a Wednesday night. If you don't mind, I'd love to play it for you. And it's just them saying hey to y'all and that they love you and, and, um, and some of our leaders on a Wednesday night and we just wanted to greet you. And um, then I'm going to share just a little bit out of Kings for you this morning and hopefully encourage you and get you some help, get heaven, the momentum of heaven moving with you. But uh, we'll take just a second. You guys have it? Everything good? Awesome. They're all thumbs up. What a great crew back there. Play this video. We'll hear a little greeting from Jacksonville. We're so glad to be with you today. We thought we might take a minute and video here from Jacksonville. North Carolina. This is Crossroads Christian Fellowship Church saying a big hello, and uh, we want to just give them a big hand to Word Alive Church. If y'all don't mind, we're so happy for you. 
recognize some of these faces. We've got, uh, you may know this guy, Bill Bird, and uh, Heather Barbell, and this is my sister, Abby Strickland, and uh, you may have met, I'm sure, Cora and C.L. Barbell, and we're so glad to be uh, with you this morning, and I know we're doing a series on PUSH, and uh, this week I think I'm talking about that we shouldn't be doing it alone, that we'll have people there to help us along, and I've been blessed with these amazing leaders and people that are helping us do things here in Jacksonville, so we're excited what's going to happen the rest of the morning, but we just wanted to say hello from Jacksonville, North Carolina. How about everybody say hello? hello. Bless y'all, and we'll see you later. Bye. How about that? Bam. Perfect. It's not stopping. Uh, First Kings talks about Elijah, Elisha, and um, First Kings chapter 19 is where we're at today. If you want to get out your Bible or open your app, get in your phone, and while you got your phone out, go ahead and down, download Word Alive app, and uh, you're welcome, Matt. Chapter 19, First Kings 19, uh, we'll start around verse 3, and just a little backstory before this, Elijah uh, is in, uh, boy, the kind of a nation like Kent described, uh, talking about our, our, just our country that we just haven't faced uh, a lot of persecution and the church has kind of lost its way just a little bit on what it's supposed to be doing. And Elijah gets in a big showdown with the prophets of Baal. And, and uh, this is the story right after this is where Elijah wets down all the wood. Remember the wet wood story? And uh, all the prophets of Baal are screaming and crying and cutting themselves and asking for all their gods to show up and do something miraculous. And they don't show up. And Elijah says, well, wet down all the wood, get it all wet and moist and put water all over the place. And I'm going to ask my God to call down fire and burn everything up. And uh, so Elijah calls on God and God just smokes the whole place. Burns it all up, burns up the water. And uh, the Old Testament is, uh, is harsh uh, uh, because then I think Elijah just kills everybody. Uh, <laughs> like 800 and some people, he killed them. So we, we'll move on with that. Uh, but uh, Elijah pretty much lays waste to those guys and shows up in a supernatural, miraculous way with heaven on his side, does something supernatural. Elijah's got a story, got a testimony, got something deep down in his belly where God showed up and did something supernatural where it couldn't have happened unless God did it. This is something that a lot of you may have in here, and if you don't, I just beg and plead with you to, to lean on God till he does. But how many of you in here have something that's happened in your life that couldn't have happened unless God did it? That's what I'm talking about. That's why we got a healthy church here. You can't undo people with the experience. Kent says they're never at the mercy of somebody with a doctrine. Never, never, never. Elijah's got something that God did he couldn't do supernatural happened in his life. Now, you may think if that hasn't happened for you, man, if I could just have something like that happen, I'd be unstoppable. I'd be fearless. I'd be capable. I could walk in my destiny. If I could just have something supernatural, if God would answer my big prayer, I'd be unstoppable. But that's not the case. It's amazing how short the saints of God's memories can be. That we can move from one weekend of God doing something supernatural in our life, blessing our socks off, 
walking out of this room feeling like we are unstoppable in the kingdom of God. And then somewhere between Sunday and next Sunday, we hear something somebody said or somebody did or hear a word or get a little bit offended, and all of a sudden, it's over. Well, I was, and then I thought, and then I was like, what did he, what? And he said this, and I was like, hmm, right? Not you all, but I mean, uh, people that laughed. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? How short can our memories be that we lose track of the big picture? That we lose track of how big God is and how mighty he is and what he does in our life? Listen to what happened. First Kings 19.3. We're going to do just a tiny Bible study. Everybody say, okay. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under that tree and he fell asleep. You know why he's afraid and he ran? Because a lady named Jezebel heard about what he did to all those prophets and how he humiliated all those false idols and how he, God rained down heaven and rained down fire and showed up in a mighty way. Jezebel heard about it and she threatened to kill Elijah. Elijah didn't even hear it from her. He heard it from a friend of a friend who heard it, said, she's coming for you. And Elijah got terrified and the Bible says he ran in fear for his life. Just because something somebody said. Not even, not even said to him that he heard somebody said about him. And wrecked and trashed his supernatural experience, all of his authority, all of his power, all of his momentum, all the energy he had moving in God was thwarted because of something somebody said they were going to do to him. Because something he heard. And the Bible says he ran in fear for his life. It's amazing how when we get afraid or, or, or the power that what somebody says about us can have and what it does to your thinking about kingdom things. When somebody attacks you personally or says something about you or your family, all of a sudden it's not about kingdom life anymore. Elijah's running for his own life. It's amazing how selfish you get when you think somebody's talking on you. It's amazing how selfish you get when you feel attacked or threatened. All of a sudden, it's protect me and mine. It says Elijah ran for his life, not for the promise of God, not for the destiny of God, not for God's purpose and plan, not to protect. Elijah just ran for his own life. Because somebody talked on him. Somebody threatened him. Somebody said, just said something against what he thought God wanted to do. Just a, just a sentence. How could just a sentence thwart you from your destiny? How could just a sentence get you out of what God's called you to do? How could just a phrase move you away from what God's called you to do? Something somebody said. Happened to Elijah. He took him to a place called Beersheba. In, I like that it has the word beer in it and the word Sheba. It's almost summer, praise God. <laughs> Elijah's not alone up to this point because we, we see talked about that 
Beersheba, when he gets to this place, he's running in fear. When he gets to this town, the Bible says something interesting. It says he left his servant there. He parted ways with the person God put in his life. He cut company with the man God had had in his life. He became alone. He lost his help when he got afraid. At the time, he needed it the most. At the time, he really could have used somebody with him. He cut company with his servant. Beersheba is a really cool place in the Bible because it's, it's also the city where Abraham and Abimelech, back in the uh, a few books earlier, a couple hundred years ago, they cut a covenant in Beersheba. This is a place where Abraham dug a well. And, and Abimelech came along and, and there was a little bit of a spat about whose well it was and whose water it was and whose place the uh, uh, family had ownership of it. And in this story it says Abraham provided seven lambs to Abimelech as an offering to show him that really was the well of his ancestors, the well of his fathers. And they cut agreement, they cut covenant, and he said, from this time on, this well, this land will be the place for your ancestors to drink and find life from. This is also the town Beersheba where Isaac built an altar. This is also the town where sometime later uh, there was a dream about a ladder. Remember I talked about last time I was here, coming down from heaven where heaven meets earth. That's golden ladder. This is all this town in Beersheba. Interestingly enough, this is also the town on the planet earth. It's still a town right now. And it's the town where there's the most grand chess masters per capita on planet Earth. Isn't that weird? Such a strange fact. I have nowhere to go from there. I, that is fascinating. <laughs> but it tells me it's still a place of intellect. It's still a place of thinking. It's still a place where men would like to figure their problems out on their own. Where logic, chess is the ultimate game where mankind tries to get out of something in his own thinking. It's funny that this city still exists and it's currently home to more chess grandmasters than any other city on planet Earth. I was fascinated by that. But it's also a place of covenant. See, instead of Elijah getting to this place, finding this, this place of history, finding this place of, of uh, heritage, of promise, of oath. See, Beersheba really means, if you look it up in the Bible dictionary, it means city of oath. City of seven promises. Wow. Calling back to these seven lambs that were given to Abimelech to prove and to cut covenant with him that this is a place, the fountain of our ancestors. See, instead of Elijah calling on this promise, this oath, showing up there may be fearful, not wrong, we're going to get afraid, amen. It's what we do with it. So instead of getting to that town and realizing, oh, wait a minute, I know that well, I know this place. I know that covenant. I know this oath. I know what Abraham did here. Hold on a minute. I got authority here. I've got some, right? Instead, he gets alone, cuts covenant with his servant, and doesn't really remember the heritage, the place he comes from, what got him there. He lets it go back to the wayside, and it says he left his servant there. The Bible says he fell down under a, under a broom tree and went to sleep. 
a broom tree is more like a bush, and I was digging around some research about it, and it's one of these trees where if you ever go camping, if you build a fire with a broom tree, once it looks like it's out, it's really not. The coals underneath stay there till in the morning, and you can uncover it, and all of a sudden just blow on a little bit, and you got a fire again. The coals hold heat all night. And what ancient travelers would do is they would dig a hole in the ground, put broom tree ashes in the ground, and cover them up and lay on them at night like a heated mattress. And the Bible says that Elijah went to this place. He wandered around for 40 days. A whole other message, right? 40 days, 40 years, wilderness time, time of testing. Went in there, but that an angel of the Lord saw him and got these coals, a hot coal, whole other message, coal on your lip, coal of fire, coal of cleansing. Got the hot coals and made him communion. Got him a meal and baked him bread and reminded him who he was. Reminded him his heritage. Reminded him where he came from. And it says God Almighty showed up. And, and it said a mighty wind came. And then mighty rocks were destroyed. And an earthquake came. Remember the story? And God said, I'm not in all that. I'm in the small, still voice. Because he'd already been through this with Elijah. He realized supernatural things aren't going to help this man. Because I've already killed 800 people and caught water on fire. So I need, you know what I'm talking about? So listen, Elijah, I'm in the still, small voice. I'm going to go this other way for you. And, and, and God's going to find a way to speak to you. And it says the angel of the Lord made him a communion meal. It's all, see, it's just pictures of Jesus. All through this book, Jesus is just trying to show up and say, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Don't do it alone. I'm with you. Jesus shows up in here and gives us this little tiny picture. If you want to look, if you're willing to just dig and see him in there, he's in there. He's wandering the 40 days like Jesus did in the 40, for 40 days in the desert. That's what Elijah's doing. He's eating this meal prepared by an angel on the hot rocks of the broom tree. Communion like Jesus gave himself is communion for us. And the angel of the Lord, God Almighty says, look, it ain't over for you, Elijah. But you can't do it by yourself. And he gives him some instruction on what to do from this point on. And I want to encourage you a little bit this morning and help you maybe give you one big tip on how to get through some fear Quit being alone and move into what God's called you to move in. Amen? Amen? All right, let's do it. Here's the whole big, here's my whole big point. Everybody say big point. Verse 13. Elijah heard it. Chapter 19, verse 13. Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophet to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's not a new song to feel like you're the only one left. And it's not even all that wrong because there's a remnant thread in this story. There's a remnant theology. There's a there's a tricky thing we can get into as believers where we feel like we're the only one righteous. It's teed up for us. You ever play golf? It's the, the Lord's handed you the biggest, best new driver, teed it up for you, and said, now here's an opportunity for you to feel like you're the only one getting it right. Are you going to hit it or not? Don't hit it. It's so tempting to feel like you're the only one that really gets what's going on. 
It's so tempting because just the way that God set up for, have, for us to have divine relationship with him and covenant with him and how personal of a God he is that it can so, be so tempting to say like Elijah, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's really righteous, so I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. It's an old story, but isn't it fresh? Have you heard it lately? Oh, we got it. We know what should be done, so we're going to go over here and do it for a while. Really? What an awesome revelation you must have. You're going to leave the church and go do something God's called you to do because you're the only ones that have it right. Good grief, right? Can you believe that's still being said? And we don't learn. We just don't learn. We can't do it by ourselves. Listen, to, this is the whole point. Say one point. You thought I forgot. The Lord said to him, chapter 15, here's what we're going to do this morning. Go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. You're going to have to revisit what brought you here. Kent made a point to me when I was here just a very little time. If you ever get in a place where you can't feel God or where you feel far away from God, here's what you should do. Just remember back to when you could and do that again. Just remember back to when you felt close to him. What were you doing then? You don't have to start all the way over. Just go back to where the last time you really felt God in a situation. He says, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, here's what he tells him to do. You're going to have to anoint these kings. And, well, again, we're in the Old Testament. They're going to start killing some folks. <laughs> but the angel of the Lord tells Elijah, you can't do it by yourself. You're going to have to anoint some people. You're going to have to pray over some people. You're going to have to minister in order for me to help you. You're going to have to minister in order for God to help you. You're going to have to minister in order for God to help you. It's subtle. It's a twist. But it would seem like maybe we would have to get anointed for God to help us. We would have to get ministered to for God to help us. No. The angel of the Lord told Elijah, no, you go minister. You go anoint these kings. And I'm going to put them to work on your behalf. He tells, I like this about the Bible. He says, when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, we know about that story, son of Japhat from uh, Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Now, here's my favorite part, verse 17. God's going about to do some cleaning up. He says, Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of uh, Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not yet kissed him. God's saying, if this king don't kill them all, the other king's going to kill the ones they missed. That king's going to kill the ones they missed. That king's going to kill the ones they missed. Because I've got 7,000 for you reserved, put away a remnant. You're really not in it alone. What, what's the point? It's a simple point. Sometimes you got to minister your way out of fear. 
Sometimes you got to minister your way out of isolation. Sometimes you got to minister your way out of people talking on you. Sometimes you got to minister your way out of persecution. It's not the time for ministry. It's the time to minister. It's the time to anoint. And let me tell you what God does. If you'll do that, it ain't about seven lambs anymore. See, he made a covenant with Abraham, seven lambs to Abimelech for this place in Beersheba. So God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a thousand people for every lamb. One puts a thousand. God, see, God's math gets real, 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 real quick, real, 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 real fast. You start anointing and ministering, I'm going to give you a thousand people for every lamb I gave to Abraham. So not only is he going to remember the promise he gave you, he's going to come good on that. But it's going to be in such a multiplied way, the minute you become obedient to ministry, you'll never imagine how great it'll be. Never, ever imagine. Last point. Look over. What, listen to what God's doing this morning. 2 Kings, verse 8. Here's what God's doing while we're in the cave thinking it over. 2 Kings 8. Verse 7. It's ahead in the book, but this is what God's doing while Elijah is in the cave kind of wondering about it all. Elisha went to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was ill. When the king was told, the man of God has come all the way up here and said to Hazael, take a gift with you and go meet the man of God. Let me tell you what this means. Before Elijah anointed Elisha, before Elijah anointed the kings, right? Before Elijah was told about the 7,000 remnant, God Almighty is talking to the king hundreds of miles away, telling him in advance, Elisha's coming. I need you to go meet him because he's coming with an anointing from Elijah to do my work. God was answering the prayer and putting the pieces in motion before Elijah was obedient. God right now this morning is working on your behalf through other people, through situations and circumstances you cannot see, setting things up on your behalf using people, putting them in certain places, putting, imagine all the opportunities I've missed that were set up for me and I didn't know it. Had I just been a little bit obedient, God had all these things lined up and all these pieces lined up. All I would have had to done is made a couple little moves and God would have stormed me with 7,000. But I missed it maybe. So the next situation comes up where I get afraid or feel for, feel for, want to quit. And all of a sudden, unbeknownst to me, God is working on my behalf, behind the scenes, setting up people, setting up appointments, setting up movements, setting up a bank loan, setting up a piece of property, setting up a relationship, setting up a friend I'm supposed to meet, setting up a bid or a contract you're going to win. And all he's asking you to do is move out in ministry and all the work he's putting in your place time after time after time. Maybe we miss it. I got great news for you. If you haven't missed it, you're going to miss it. I got even better news. God's still working on your behalf. 
He's still setting things up for you. God was moving through Elisha. God was moving through this king, telling him, in faith. Oh, God had faith Elijah was really going to do it. Because he told the king, go meet the man of God. I got faith he's coming this time. And don't you know, Elijah really did go to Elisha. Really did anoint him. And Elisha really did go to the king. And really did anoint him. And God had it all set up and worked out. Look, it's time for the church to minister its way out of fear. It's time for the church to minister its way out of persecution. It's time for the church to minister its way out of people talking on them. It's time for the church to minister its way into their destiny, not be ministered into it. It's just a little shift that turns you into priests, that turns you into leaders, men and women of God, full of anointing, full of power, full of courage, and got heaven almighty as a resource. How about that? Come on, stand up with me. Give the Lord a big old hand clap. Come on. Praise God. Well, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning. And I just want to empower you. We don't necessarily have time to go through every single person, but I just want to encourage you this morning to anoint something this week. My middle son, we have a, my older son Drew goes to public school, and my middle son is homeschooled, and we've done Christian school, and our, my little girl goes to public school. Every kid's different, amen? You just... Uh, and so while my middle son is home, homeschooled, Heather decided, you know, what they could do, part of his homeschool teaching would be to learn how to be a spiritual man of the household and what that looks like and what men of God do when they're home. And one of those things Heather did for me when I wasn't with God and before we got married is she snuck around the house and anointed my stuff when I wasn't looking. I had greasy belongings. Greasy belt. Grease stain above the chair I sat in, little grease smudges all over the house. Because there's power in anointing. You want to know why? I don't know why, but there is. God likes anointing things. We, we, that's a whole other message. Just take my word for it. Say, okay. He does. He likes for things to be anointed. And I came home, and Heather, the Skylar had anointed the mantle. He put oil on the mantle of our fireplace. And God's calling you to anoint something this week. He called Elijah to anoint these kings to move on their behalf for the nation of Israel, but he's calling you to minister this week. So I double, triple dog dare you to go find some oil in your house and get the oil out. Put your hands in that oil and rub it on something that you want God to change. Rub it on your spouse, on your kids, on the furniture, on your property, on your mailbox, on your car, on your car tires. Start anointing some things. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to operate as a minister this week. You're going to operate in the authority of a minister of God Almighty that's anointed for change. And you're going to start to see such power and authority because the things you anoint are going to start to change. They're going to start to heal, to be restored, to be brought into alignment with the kingdom of heaven. And we're not going to be the end time. The end time church is not a church that needs prayer. The end time church is a church that prays. 
The end time church isn't a church that's standing in a healing line. The end time church is a church that's calling for a healing line. This is the time where we turn into the anointers, the ministers, the leaders. Moving in what God's called you to do in this season, in this hour. And, I, and Kent's told you all the time, but sometimes it takes somebody else telling you. It's like your parents tell you 15 times, that's probably not a great idea. And then your uncle tells you, oh, that's brilliant. As a parent, you're like, really? I've been saying that for 12 years. Uncle Lee says it, and he's the smartest man ever walked on two legs. All right, so here it goes. I'll tell you, even though you've heard it for 20 years almost probably. You're ready. You're ready. You got it. You're anointed. You've got the power. You've got the ability. You've got the tools to really make this thing go absolutely crazy in a good way. Regardless of what people might say, regardless of fear, regardless of past situations, it's time to look back on what God brought this church through. It's time to look back on the miraculous things God's done for this church. Remember where you came from and operate and move in the things of God for this season. Amen? Come on, throw your hand in the air. Father, we receive this morning this impartation. Lord, we move right now into anointing power. And Lord, this week we make a pledge to anoint something that we are not alone. We don't operate alone. We're calling on the very power of heaven itself to move on our behalf. And we're anointing things for change this week in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. Bless you. God bless y'all. We'll see you this week. Midweek services. Be blessed. Be sure and get the app on your way out. Get it on your phone. And leave a big, humongous offering to help Kent go around the world. I love y'all. Bless you. I hope you enjoyed this message. For more content like this, please visit wordalive.tv. If you're ready for your next step, you can jump into Freedom Track anytime. Have a great week.